0: in Mark chapter 1. I'm going to start with verse 2. It says this, It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you. Who will prepare your way? A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized <coughs> me—baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray as we look into Your Word this morning. You speak to our hearts clearly. God, I pray that You would not allow there to be any criticism or condemnation, but God, that the truth would would truly be uh, spoken clearly. Help me to speak clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read that scripture, it's like, wow, we've got this guy. As we all know him as John the Baptist. And it tells us that he's going to be the forerunner of Christ, the Messiah. And then you look at this character that God chose. And you you see this picture in just those few verses. You've got this guy. First of all, he's out in the wilderness. He's out in the wilderness. He's dressed in camel hair. Can you imagine if we called up one day and I sent out an email to everybody and said, Hey, there's this great preacher. Uh, He's kind of weird. He dresses really funny, he's wearing animal fur, and he, he's down in Camden Park, standing down by the river, and he's living off bugs and some honey if he can find it. And he's got kind of this convicting message of judgment, but hey, let's go see him. You think, well, are you nuts? This guy should probably be locked up. And that's kind what we see here in John the Baptist. He's out in the wilderness of Judea, the desert area of Judea, by the Jordan River, baptizing, it says, in the area of the Jordan. And the Jordan River, a lot of times during the year, wasn't really that much of a river. It would, during the flood season, when the snows would melt, melt off the mountains, it would be a raging river, but a lot of the times it was just kind of a shallow, slow-moving river, a dirty river. And here's where he's at. And he's, he's, he's got this message that he's bringing. And in Luke 3, 3, it gives us clearly, it says, He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Now, in our culture today, that's probably not the most appropriate message if you want to just draw a crowd. We are sinners. We've turned away from God. We've rejected His teaching. We've rejected His law. We're living to our own flesh. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, there's going to be a day of judgment. It's time to repent. And to draw back. And the people of God, God's chosen people, Israel, the Jewish people, it had been a long period of silence. In the Old Testament, they heard from the prophets quite regularly. It wasn't always good, but there were some good things as well as warnings, encouragements, exhortations. But it had been like 400 years of silence. God hadn't spoken through the prophets. And then here comes this guy we call John the Baptist. Actually, it turns out he's a relative of Jesus. And John the Baptist is out there and this is his message. It's time to get back on track, people. It's time to repent of our sins and turn back to God. And it's time to to be baptized in this baptism of repentance. And this is what John was doing out at the Jordan River. Now the word baptized is an important word I'll probably mention its definition a couple different times but the word baptize in the greek baptizo, means to submerge or to immerse to to make very clean to totally overwhelm matter of fact we could call John the Baptist John the immerser he was baptizing the historical texts that we see in the scriptures plus the jewish Historians write that baptism in that day was by submersion it wasn 't by sprinkling or dipping it was total immersion, as this picture gives us here and John was emerging to the immersing the people in the jordan and and in the first century to the Jews, this wouldn 't this whole idea of baptism and immersion wouldn 't have been a foreign concept. What John was doing was a little different than what they were used to, but baptism. Cleansing had been around for a while in their Jewish faith and in their Jewish culture. At that time, if you were a Gentile, a pagan in other words to the people, the Jewish people, if you were a Gentile and you decided you wanted to become Jewish, you wanted to change from being a Gentile to Judaism, they had a process you would have to go through. First, if you had to be circumcised. And then you would be actually stripped naked, and bathed, baptized in a pool. They, they called it a mikvah. And we've, archaeologists have found these mikvahs near where the temples were and at different locations where they would actually bathe the people, these proselytes, these ones that were going to change from being Gentiles to Judaism. So they would, it would be common to them, and I'll touch on that a little bit more later. And then after the baptism, they would, they would have to sacrifice something at the temple. So it was circumcision, baptism, and and sacrifice. And they also would be very familiar with just in the daily life of that culture. If you're familiar with the Old Testament law, there were many, many things that would make you unclean according to the law. A woman was considered unclean during her menstruation period. If you touched a dead animal, you were considered unclean. And the list goes on and on. And one of the things you would have to do is to wash, to be baptized as part of this ritual, to be considered clean. So it would have been common in the everyday practices of the Jewish people as well. And also, the priests, way back in Leviticus, way back in the Bible, before there was a priesthood, God spoke and he told them to wash Aaron and his sons. Aaron being the first high priest. They washed Cleansed them. It was a, a, a spiritual washing, cleansing, preparation. And then he was anointed and being acknowledged by God as the first high priest. So there's a history so that they would have understood. But here's this guy out on the Jordan River looking pretty strange. Certainly it doesn't look like a normal priest who would be involved with baptism or washing. And he's got this message that he's sharing. Now the Jordan River, it's interesting that he would have been at the Jordan River. The Jordan River to the Jewish people had a significance symbolically in a number of ways. If you remember when the Jewish people were set free from Egypt after being enslaved for around 400 years, they were taken out of the wilderness, the whole Red Sea story, and then they marched around in the wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief. And then finally they came to the Jordan River. They were on the east side of the Jordan River. And there they camped, and looking across the river was the promised land. Now Moses had been their leader this time during the desert experience, but Moses was not going to be allowed to go into the promised land. So he passed the baton, so to speak, or passed the mantle to Joshua. And Joshua led the people into the promised land through the Jordan River. The Jordan River, symbolically to the Jewish people, was a a picture of new beginnings. A picture of salvation. A picture of hope. From their 40 years of wandering, now they're going into the promised land. And when we see Jesus, he comes to John the Baptist at the Jordan River. Now up to this time, Jesus' life, we don't know hardly anything about. We know he was dedicated to the temple, as we just read about. We know that, that there's a story about him when he was 12 years old, how he kind of stayed behind at the temple and his parents went and left him. And then we don't hear much about him at all. We know he was a carpenter's son. So there's a lot of, of, of assumptions that he lived as a tradesman quietly. And then he comes on the scene, and we see him coming to John the Baptist to be baptized in the Jordan River. And it's interesting. Baptism—they they referred to it as it baptized in living waters. It was never to be baptized in a stale pool, where the water wasn't moving. Moving water has life. So he's taken to the Jordan River, to living water, to be baptized. In Mark chapter one, verses nine through eleven, it says this: At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth, his hometown in Galilee. And he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And then this voice came from heaven. You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At Jesus' baptism, his life totally changed. He never went back to his former life. From that day forward, his ministry began. Whatever he was before, he was no longer. He was now ministering as the Messiah who has come. And it's interesting to me too, and and not to make too much out of this dogmatically or anything like that, but it's interesting to me that when Aaron, the very first high priest, was to be set in as the high priest, God said, take him, wash him, baptize him, And then when he came out of the water, they anointed him with oil. And then he is declared, this is the high priest. Like the mark of approval was given to Aaron to be the priest after his baptism and his anointing. And it's interesting to me here that we see Jesus coming. And we all know he's the Son of God. But we see him coming out of this hiddenness that he'd been in for 30 years. And he goes and he is baptized And when he comes up out of the water, he is not anointed with oil. The Holy Spirit comes and lands upon him as a dove, it says. And then he isn't proclaimed to be by anybody less than God from heaven. He rends the heavens and he speaks, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This all took place at that baptism in the Jordan River. Well, the question for us may be, what the heck does this have to do with all of us and baptism. Well, we are commanded by God to be baptized and we are called to make disciples and baptize them. Now, as I said in our Victory 101 classes when we talked about baptism, you know, I I've, I've heard it said within the community even here in Ballington that this church out here doesn't believe in baptism. That's absolutely not true. We totally believe in baptism. It's an important part of what we believe we should be involved with and experience as Christians. I think what they're saying is, we don't believe in infant baptism and baptizing babies. And they're totally correct if that's what they mean. What we do believe in is what you just saw here this morning. Bringing a child to God and dedicating that child to God. What we do believe is called by some people, believers, baptism. And it says in Matthew 28:19, "Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end." It's a command by God and part of the Great Commission to go and make disciples and baptize them. It's a command to baptize. We as Christians should all receive baptism. We should all be baptized. Is it a big deal? Yes. Well, then we need to ask, who's it for? Why? How do we do it? How is it supposed to be done? As I said earlier in the Greek, baptizo means to immerse or submerge. So we believe the method, the most appropriate biblical method, is baptism by submersion. And I know that's foreign to a lot of people. I remember growing up out at Silverwood Lutheran Church out by Current Lake, and there was Scandi Evangelical Free Church about a mile and a half away. And we always thought it was absolutely crazy Because every so often in the summer, we'd see Scandia Free Church go over out to Lake Current Lake, and they'd be out in the water baptizing people. And I remember thinking, boy, are they a weird church. (laughs) So I understand completely when people look at us and say something about, did you see what they're doing at Lake Yankton? They are a weird church. So I get it. But we believe as we look at the Bible and we try to model everything as best we can with the revelation we're given, To a biblical model. And we believe to be baptized by submersion is that biblical model. And as I said earlier, baptism has been around for a long, long, long time. I mentioned a proselyte, a a heathen, a pagan, a gentile, deciding because of the living in the culture of the Jewish people, some of them wanted to become Jews. They wanted to join their religion, join their faith. And they would have to go through the process that I already mentioned. At uh, first, the males would have to be circumcised. Then, after a certain period of time for healing to take place, they would be baptized. And literally, according to the historians of that day, they would be taken, they would be naked, and they would be baptized. And if it was a woman, the priests would stand outside and females would baptize the women, Gentiles, if they wanted to be. And then they would go over to the temple and sacrifice something. So that process involved baptism, but it also involved the circumcision and sacrifice. And it was taken very, very seriously. In the historian's rendering of what took place, it was very common that they would use a phrase that I'm not even going to try to speak in the Hebrew, but it basically said this. As the proselyte would come out of the water of the baptism, they would simply say this phrase, and in English it says, "...he is a newborn child." He is a newborn child. In their mind, a pagan, a Gentile, a heathen, it was as good as nothing. They were dead. But now there's a newborn child. And it's taken very seriously, even yet today in the Jewish culture, when someone gets baptized, you know, if you're Jewish, even in the culture today, and you decide that Jesus Christ really was the Messiah, and you decide to become a Christian, they're not real excited about that if they're truly practicing Jews they'll put up with it and they won't alienate you too much until you decide to become baptized because in their mind you're hanging around with a bunch of Christians well that's okay we hope you come to your senses and come back to your Jewish roots we hope you don't go and make that silly mistake of being baptized to make that public declaration that you are a follower of Jesus Christ they had they have a saying binst gavoran agoy you've become a gentile meaning in the eyes of the jewish people when you would accept and become a messianic jew a believer in jesus christ they would refer to you as a gentile not when you tell them you made a decision to accept christ but when you were baptized that's how seriously they took baptism we take baptism seriously it's a command of god In Christianity today, it's interesting, circumcision, baptism, and sacrifice are all part of the process. Only it's different than it was then. The order's different and the method is different. We believe in sacrifice to become a Christian. Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. No other sacrifice would would work. No other sacrifice would meet the need. So for us, the sacrifice came first before we could ever become a Christian. And circumcision, we'll read a scripture a little later on, but circumcision, the Bible tells us in a Christian and a believer, it's circumcision of the heart. Circumcision of the heart, accomplished in the atonement, accomplished at the cross, when when Jesus paid the price for our sins. God says in his word that it's all now going to be written on the heart, a new heart, a circumcised heart, and then baptism. Baptism. Believe and be baptized. Baptism does not bring about the change. Baptism and evidence, a public example, a public evidence of what took place inwardly. You know, for example, if I dress up in a lieutenant's uniform for the United States Army, does that make me a lieutenant in the United States Army? Heck no. I'm pretending. But if I am in the Army and I put on that lieutenant's uniform, I put it on because that's what I am. Do you put on a wedding ring so that you're married? Left mine home. Sorry, honey. <laughs> I am married. But we don't put on the wedding ring so that I'm married, even when I don't have mine. I'm still married. We put a wedding ring on as a symbol, an outward Picture, if you would, of the reality that we're married. And so it is with baptism. Baptism does not save anybody. And I know from the religion I grew up in, and many of the religions a lot of you are grew up in, and maybe some of the visitors here, the religion that you're currently involved with, says otherwise. The Bible pictures clearly that it is not by works, it is by grace through faith that we might be saved. And we are commanded, and we'll see in the Scriptures, believe and then be baptized. Believe and then be baptized. What is the purpose of baptism? It's interesting that Jesus would command us to, but he doesn't give us an exact explanation or definition of what it is. But most Bible scholars are pretty much all in agreement that baptism is symbolic of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So when you and I as a believer... Go into the water, proclaiming our faith in Jesus Christ, that we are followers of Jesus. We have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We go into that water. In the act of baptism, you are put in the water and submerged, your death and burial. And when you come out of the water, it's a picture of the resurrection and the new life in Christ. It's symbolic, it's an outward demonstration of what's already taken place inward in a believer. When we look at baptism, it's a picture that points two ways. It points backwards to Christ's death and to his burial. And also to our death to sin. But it also points forward to the the resurrection and the new life that's pledged to every single one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. So baptism is a symbol. It's not the reality. And I want to read a couple of segments of Scripture that will highlight this for us. In Romans 6, verse 1. <clears throat> what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that so the grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, and death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died once. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. We're identified with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The power of sin no longer has dominion over you and me as a new believer. The power of sin, the power of death has been broken. We identify with his death, his burial, and resurrection. And in Colossians 2 verse 9 it starts this way, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. In other words, he was God. And you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were circumcised, circumcision of the heart. In the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through the faith in the power of God. Baptism is an act of faith. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the command is to make disciples and be baptizing them. It's it's an act of faith and it's also a statement of faith. It's saying, my old life is left behind. What I was before, I no longer am. I am a new creature in Christ. Death here in this case is the end of that power of sin in our life. It's the end of selfishness. It should be the ends of the world's ways in our life. In a sense, when you get publicly baptized, what we're experiencing is a public burial. When something dies, we bury it. When someone dies, we bury it. When Jesus died, they buried him when we identify with this death. So in a sense, when we go into the water and go under the water in baptism, it is a public burial. When we come out of that water, we can identify and say, you know what, whoever I was when I went in, that's not who I am now. I'm changed. And that change, again, took place at the moment of salvation. Baptism is just symbolically demonstrating it publicly. Saying goodbye to the old life. We're no longer master the devil, but we're masters. Our master is the Lord. It's commanded of God, so it's not only an act of faith; it's all, also an act of obedience, and obedience brings blessing. You know, when you look through the, the the New Testament, and especially in the Book of Acts and in Corinthians, when these people were getting saved and being baptized, it was they got saved and were baptized. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch when Philip is there and he shares the gospel with him and, and he says what do I what's preventing me from being baptized nothing if you believe let's go you'll we'll be baptized and we see over and over all these different households they believed and were baptized so it's an act of obedience why don't we baptize infants the answer is really pretty simple we don't see any evidence anywhere from Genesis to Revelation, that there was ever an infant baptized. None of them. Some people say, well, we baptize infants because it's, a, it's, it's supposed to be a symbolic of circumcision. They circumcised them, the babies. Well, it was a command from God, clearly spoken in the law, on the eighth day you circumcise. There is no such command in the New Testament in regard to babies. So we don't baptize babies. Another argument you'll hear from people who baptize infants is that they'll use scriptures that are talking about households. And I'm not going to read all of them, but there's a household of Cornelius in Acts, and the household of Lydia, and the household of the jailer in Acts, and the household of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians. And they say that their whole households, the scriptures read like this, they and their entire household believed and were baptized notice in there, nowhere does it say there were any infants. But the argument they use is their whole household was baptized. Can't we assume that there were babies in their household? Well, you could assume that if you want to. It doesn't say that. But it says they believed and were baptized. It says they heard, they believed, and were baptized. So, even if there were infants in that household and that assumption was correct, we can be pretty certain they didn't hear and believe. So, the scriptures, again, I'm not trying to criticize anybody. I just want you to understand who we are as a church and what we believe and what we practice and why we think it's important. We believe this is the biblical model, and it is an outward example. Sometimes people ask, well, what do you do? You know, in, in the liturgies that we all grew up in, they had this thing they would read, and you go through this whole baptism, and that's okay, nothing wrong with that. But they're wondering, what do you guys say? Well, we don't say much. The Bible says they baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then another spot it says they baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, their Lord. So to cover all my bases, I do both. It's not the magic in the words. It's the act of the heart. But when we baptize, we say, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our Lord Jesus Christ. Then they would ask, and I get this asked, um, I want to be baptized. Do I have to come to you as the pastor? And I said, of course you don't. I'd love the privilege, but you absolutely don't. It says, we are all to go. Who is the Great Commission to? All of us as believers. And it says, Go make disciples. It doesn't say pastor go and make disciples. It says all of you go and make disciples and baptize them. And baptize them. When we do baptism out there publicly, it's generally myself and Bob or one of the other elders doing the baptizing, but it doesn't have to be. Parents can baptize their children. You can have a friend can baptize you, another believer can baptize you. It, it's it's not about who's doing what. It's a public demonstration of an inward change that's taken place in your heart. So, I probably got some of you mad at me. Some of you think I'm crazy. Some of you are confused. And hopefully a few are going right on. Brother, preach it. <laughs> Just a review and close. It's a symbolic, baptism is a symbolic picture of being buried with Christ and raised to a new life with him. And quite honestly, for some, it is a major spiritual break sh- breakthrough. There is a spiritual significance to it. Some people come out of the water and it's like they have been set free. All that they knew in their head, and all they believed, all of a sudden, it's real. It's an awesome experience. There are no commands whatsoever in the Bible to baptize infants. Everything we see in Scripture says they believed and were baptized. There is one Scripture that says that <clears throat> what must I do? It says you must believe and be baptized to be saved. And then they say, see? Baptized to be saved. They stop there. The rest of the verse says, and those who do not believe will perish. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says this. There is no God. So if we want to have an argument about whether there's a God, I'll quote scripture for you. There is no God. Oh, yeah, that's right. The first part of our, the verse says, A fool in their heart says there is no God. We need to look at Scripture in context. That's why we don't ba- baptize infants. We do it by submersion because we believe it's supported by Scripture in the original Greek. And we do it because Jesus commanded us to. So, everybody, I believe, that is a believer in Jesus Christ should be baptized as a believer. We're going to do a public baptism, Lord willing, weather cooperating, on July 14th. July 14th. It will be done out at, on Lake, in Lake Yankton. It will be done... Has Pastor Bob talked to his wife? Good. Most of my elders, we don't do that so well. <laughs> it will be out at Pastor Bob and, and Lynette's home out on the north shore of Lake Yankton. There's a sign-up sheet back by the offering box. I want to encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, sign up. And get baptized. And everybody that signs up, I'll be communicating with you uh, about any specifics. But please, uh, if what we've said today makes sense, you believe it's biblical, I want to encourage you in the strongest way possible, be baptized. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you and praise you for your word, God, that is not only there to encourage us and filled with your promises, but it's also there for instruction. God, we pray that as we uh, seek your will. Seek to do things according to your word as best we can. You will lead us by your Holy Spirit. Father, that you will be glorified and honored in all of it. And Father, we also pray that, that you would move on the hearts of each one here to, to have that act of faith and obedience to your word to be baptized if they've never been baptized. And Lord, we also pray now for the food that we're going to be eating in just a few minutes. We ask that you bless that to our bodies use. And we just pray for your protection over all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.